you've never heard anything like it. Yes, it's <laughs> Diminishing Returns podcast with me, Calvin, and uh, the the two regular hosts, Alan. Hello. And Saul. Hello. And today we are talking about, uh, well, it, uh, in the run-up to the film Doolittle, which precisely no one is going to see, and <laughs> I'm predicting it's going to be are the you, biggest... You're predicting it's going to do little <laughs> box office. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. I, I think it will go down as one of the bigger flops in Yeah, it must uh, be quite history. expensive one as well. In history? Effects and stuff. Yes, the yeah. worst film in history. <laughs> not just 2020. Uh, How much well, money it... have they spent on it? Is, I, I've not, I've not actually seen like a trailer or anything about it. So I know Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Well, oh. the only thing I know is the trailer I've seen, and it looks shit. <laughs> well, 175 million dollars is the uh, budget listed online, uh, and it's one of those things where it was supposed to be released about like last year or something, and then it had like oh. a month's worth of reshoots because test audiences reacted so poorly to it. And to be honest, until it was put on the schedule for this podcast, I didn't even know it was coming out. I had no <laughs> knowledge of this. I'm pretty sure I had remembered um, years ago when Robert Downey Jr. was being rumored as being Doctor Doolittle, and I was like, oh, that'd be might be interesting. And then it's just it's here, it's happened, and uh, yeah. I guess Isn't we'll it? talk more about the trailer later yeah, on. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, surprisingly... Uh, Vague? Well, I, I want to say breathtaking, actually. Um, but I, I, that that implies that it looks good. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we'll talk more <laughs> about that later on. We've got a cat situation on our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Isn't it interesting that Robert Downey Jr. is the guy they went for? It just It feels like this should have been done... As a modern day musical with Hugh Jackman, mm. yeah, yeah. Well, I think actually, even though I think hardly anyone is going to go and see this new film, I think talking about specifically the two other Doctor Doolittle films is quite interesting, just in regards to how you can take an idea and do mm. two completely different things with it. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about the results of that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, talking about box office failure. Wasn't the uh, 1967 original film a complete and utter misjudged bomb? Oh, yes. Um, along with Hello, Dolly, and oh, there was another big budget musical that 20th Century Fox put out around the same time. Uh, yeah, they I mean, they pretty much released three films that kind of killed the big budget <laughs> family musical for decades. Say, well, this was pretty much the end of it, wasn't it? The late 60s. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... When did uh, what was it Oliver or something who won best musical uh, best picture at the um, Oscars? I want to say sixty nine. Yeah, that was like maybe. the the end of, and then in, coming into the seventies, that whole kind of new wave thing kicked in, and, and Golden Age Hollywood was officially over. And I think the musical mm. was a sort of most pompous example of Golden Age Hollywood, and mm. it's yeah. just so even in nineteen sixty seven, it feels out of date and uh, and old and tired. And, well, they were trying to recreate the success of The Sound of Music, which had been uh, one of the highest grossing films of all time and very beloved and multiple award winning, all that kind of stuff. Hello, Dolly's an alright film as well. I, I like I Hello, Dolly. Not. But it was on the basis of The Sound of Music that 20th Century Fox, pl you know, just 
funneled all their money into these huge musical extravaganzas and then it nearly bankrupted the studio. I think it, it got to a point where I think it, I think it was in 1970 the studio could only afford to release one film and it was a Planet of the Apes sequel. So that's how bad things got for them. And funnily enough, those original Planet of the Apes films shared the same producer as the 1967 Doctor Doolittle film. Well, he's, he's obsessed with talking animals. Isn't he? <laughs> Seems to be. Pony. Yeah. So anyway, before we talk about the film, yeah, I'm do gonna, I? I'm just gonna. Uh, I, have you had one of these Coca-Cola signature mixers yet? Oh, what? No. <laughs> I went to the shop the other day. This isn't. This isn't product placement. Um, I went to the shop the other day, and they've got like four or five like Coca-Cola signature mixers. And they've they've worked with top uh, mixologists to make weird versions of Coca Cola, and I thought I'm going to try each of these. And so far, they've all been vile. But <laughs> I'm going to try number four now, which is uh, Woody. Is this a new feature for the show that I've uh, <laughs> not been privy to yet? <laughs> and it has it has notes of patchouli, balsam copaiba. I don't know how you say these words. Basil. Vetiva and yuzu. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little sip of it now. What's happening? What? Mm. <laughs> it it tastes like um, it tastes like Coke from a from like a draft machine in a fast food restaurant where they've put um a bit too much syrup in it. Mm. It's quite nice that one actually. Some of the other ones are vile. The smoky one was disgusting. Anyway, that's what I'm drinking for this record. So do continue. <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, uh, <laughs> there was, uh, of course, the um, uh, the book released in 1920, I believe. Do either mm. of you have any knowledge about the original Doctor Doolittle work? Only in the sense I've re- I haven't read it. I've read little bits about it. Um, mm. I what know happened? that the guy wrote it originally wrote them as stories when he was in the war, like to send to his kids and stuff. Um, and then it's just a sort of mishmash of short stories, you know, Dr. Doolittle goes over here and does this, you know, that sort of stuff. Most of my knowledge of Dr. Doolittle comes from uh, The Simpsons. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals. Good Lord, Dr. Doolittle is Chief Wiggum. This bird's gonna fly. But I think that the 1967 film is the thing that people think of when they think of Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, to be honest, I, I looked it up and sort of read about it because I wasn't sure, was is this an original concept? It didn't feel like it. It felt like a kind mm. of a world they were jumping into kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I I read up a little bit about it and it, it seems well, like... It, 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 it was it, it a... Was it a stage musical before becoming a film musical? Because they, no, they've certainly... No, I don't think so, no. There certainly are productions of it on the stage now mm. that I assume are using the songs from the film. Uh, I believe so, but I, th- I don't right. think that came until much, much later. Uh, yeah, 1998, Doctor Doolittle stage musical. Well, that's very interesting, because you'd think if it was created as a film first, it wouldn't be quite so disjointed and all over the place and needlessly long. Mm. Um. <laughs> well, this is one of those cases where I think 
the behind the scenes story of the making of the film is far more interesting than anything that uh happens on screen and i think we'll get into that more as we go along but it certainly yeah all the, all the problems answer a lot of questions about how just muddled and messy this thing is i mean yeah. alan when you described the book as just a series of adventures that dr doolittle goes on the film is pretty much that it's very yeah. stop start like 20 minutes here we're doing this and then move on to something else well it spends like half the runtime trying to explain who he is mm. before anything actually happens they do spend an awful, yeah, long time. About a good half an hour of the start of the film is... I mean, we start the film with a couple of characters. Uh, one of them's played by Anthony Newley, and the other one's a young boy. And he just takes the young boy to see Dr. Doolittle, who is a animal doctor, who mm-hmm. is a bit of an eccentric, local eccentric, and he lives in a house full of animals, and he treats them and talks to them in their language. Uh, and then we have like a, a good like ten minutes dedicated to explaining why Doctor Doolittle is a vegetarian. Yeah, well, that <laughs> was that was radical behavior in 1967. <laughs> so they had to, they really had and to he's like. A, explain. He's a really reluctant vegetarian as well. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know I really want to eat meat, but you know I sort of talk to animals, so it's not a good yeah. form, is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the animals eat meat, so that's not a problem. But they all talk yeah. to each other. Yeah. I, I did like that when at the start when he's cooking sausages and there's a pig just going like no no <laughs> like it sounds really in pain that pig it sounds like it's really taking an emotional toll on it yeah I was it was interesting that they even sort of acknowledged it I thought it was gonna swiftly gloss over it <laughs> but no they went yeah. into it full full on didn't they. Well, I think that Dr. Doolittle's relationship to animals here is very interesting. Like he d- to say mm. he can talk to them, he can talk to them and they sound like, you know, they're very articulate, their human level intelligence, all of them, everything he talks to. Yeah. And yet he still kind of does treat them as like when he's going around with that two-headed llama like trying to sell it and you know, it I, I don't know, he he feels like he's still thinks of them as uh, property that he could just you know, <laughs> take here and there, which I thought was interesting. I thought he was going to be Sell a bit more... To the circus. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's got an interesting morality when it comes to mm. animals. And yeah, his whole yeah. reluctant vegetarianism, I thought, was an interesting part of that. Well, you know, he, he, he knows how thick they are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of the setup. And then there's this... There's a bit of plot involving... Uh, he pisses off some local dignitary. Uh, oh, yeah, magistrate, yeah, that's right. Yeah, who you might recognise from Doctor Strangelove. I don't think I've ever seen this actor in anything else, but I noticed immediately. Um, but he has a daughter, and there's a... His, would you call it a love triangle? It's not developed. It's Samantha Egar is there, and she's sort of romancing Anthony Newley and then also romancing Rex Harrison. And yeah. it's a weird... Uh, it's never quite developed. It never pays off or anything. It's just, no, no. Yeah, very odd. I, I thought I might have missed something halfway through then because Anthony mm. Newley sings a song about how he's falling in love with her. And then mm. she was like getting off with Rex Harrison. 
or whatever. And it was like, what? Hang on, what's happening here? She, I, I thought I'd well, missed it, something, but I don't think I did. I think it was just. I I started off making lots of notes about this film, and they're all quite <laughs> scathing. <laughs> and it, it looks like I stopped making notes as soon as I've never seen anything like it began, <laughs> uh, which is quite early on, really. But yeah. Um, I mean, the first note I made was, this is the sort of musical people are talking about when they say they don't like musicals. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. can I can I ask a question about Rex Harrison? Um, mm. Which is, why do people put him in musicals when he clearly can't sing? Well, they cast him here because he's got a dog's name, so they thought, <laughs> oh, he gets him. <laughs> but the guy can't sing, and, and it's not that, like, oh, he's trying to sing, but he's not doing it. He's not trying to sing. He's just talking over some music. Why are the animals <laughs> so inconsistent? <laughs> I would converse in polar bear and python, and I would curse in fluent kangaroo. If people ask me, can you speak rhinoceros? I'd say, of course, yes. Can't you? <laughs> he's in My Fair Lady, so I guess off the back of that, they were like, oh, he's a bankable musical guy. We'll be Why him. don't poor people learn to speak? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was going to ask, I've, I've never seen My Fair Lady. Does he sing in it? Well, in the same well, sense he, he sings that. in this, yeah. <laughs> uh, Why okay. can't a woman... Be more like a man. Damn, 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 damn! I've grown accustomed to her face. She almost makes the day begin. I've grown accustomed to the tune that she whistles night and noon. Her smiles, her frowns, her ups, her downs are second nature to me now. <laughs> By Jove, she's got it. And it works in My Fair Lady because the character is such that they can make that work. But then it just means in yeah. this, it's exactly the same character. And he's just thinking, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, this doesn't really work in this one. Mm. And well, the, the, a curious character choice that Dr. Doolittle is sort of totally unflappable. Like, no matter what's happening, he's completely calm and collected. Mm. He's a sociopath, isn't he? He's just... Yeah, but I don't know if that is like from the books or if that's. I think it works. You know, it's it's all right. Like even when the the boat's sinking, he's just like, oh well, I'll just lasso this dolphin. He's gonna pull me over to shore. That'd be fine. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I think so... he's supposed to be sort of like a Mary Poppins figure. Yeah, yeah, that. I guess that's right. Yeah. But yeah, you know that Rex Harrison is one of the big reasons why so much of this shit doesn't work. Apparently he was an absolute monster to work with on the set. Oh really? Um, yeah, I can see that. I can believe it. Yeah, that. apparently he was like he was really reluctant to even sign on and then it was like some agreement that he had with a producer and then it didn't look like it was going to happen so they hired Christopher Plummer to play the part. Oh, yeah. But then Rex Harrison just decided, oh no, I am going to do it after all. So then they had to pay Chris Plummer his entire salary for doing nothing. Like a big problem with the film is that we have like four leads, Dr. Doolittle, the uh, young man and woman, and then the boy. And there is no chemistry between these people at all. And a part of that is that Rex Harrison hated them and then he was being so cranky on the set that they started pulling pranks on him and just antagonizing him, which made things even worse. He's, he's like the Chevy Chase of his era. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Anthony Newley was pissed off because he was making anti-Semitic uh, comments or jokes. Arabians learn Arabian with the speed of summer lightning. The Hebrews learn it backwards, which is absolutely frightening. 
Yeah, so it just sounds like a right piece of work. And part of the reason why we have this truncated love triangle is because obviously Rex Harrison felt that he needed to have a, you know, a bit of young crumpet. <laughs> like you just have no chemistry between these people at all. And I, I mean, it, the, the, I mean, they're actors. They're you know pretending to be friends and all that kind of stuff but i don't know you just you don't get chemistry like what you get with julie andrews and dick van dyke in mary poppins for example there's just none of that so it just feels kind of hollow look they're, they're, they're not to jump too far ahead of ourselves but there's more chemistry between eddie murphy and norm Macdonald in the remake and they weren't even in the same room together yeah, <laughs> yeah. they've probably still to this day not met <laughs> and then obviously there were a lot of production problems to do with the fact that you know you get two elephants three llamas a cat a dog and a rat on yeah. one set together and there's gonna be pandemonium but it got so bad because apparently they were they filmed in england um a mm. big chunk of it and they'd trained all these animals in america and they were flying them over and then when they got to the airport the uh, customs wouldn't let them in because the animals you know there was a quarantine policy or something so yeah. they had to buy new animals that they you know could get in england and train them up and send the other ones back to america which is obviously very costly and uh, <laughs> yeah it just sounds like a production animals are costly evan almighty is the most expensive comedy film ever made because mm. um all the animals Oh yeah, no, totally. Because you have like so well at the box office, I read something about they gave some rum to a squirrel or something because they <laughs> needed it to sit still for Rex Harrison to like <laughs> sing a lyric to it, uh, and it wouldn't sit still. So they just were giving it like little uh, eyedropper uh, drips of rum. What anyway. about? There's a bit where Rex Harrison is holding like a fox puppet. It's like oh, yes. squirrely around. It's such a weird mix of <laughs> real and fake animals. It is bizarre. Yeah, that I mean, puppet, well, I, yeah. I have to say the the first sort of scene when you go in and there's just a room full of animals is is really impressive from a special effects point of view. Mm. Like nowadays, it'd just be CGI and it just wouldn't be exciting. But there, there is something about let's just put twenty five different animals in a room and oh, watch yeah. them like piss about. Mm. Uh, but then you're right; it is this bizarre mix of like a ratty Salem Saberhagen from Sabrina the Teenage Witch <laughs> fox puppet and some pom dogs that look nothing like foxes that are supposed yeah. to be fox cubs. I was trying to figure out if it was like Rex Harrison controlling the puppet, like because it was in his arms. I thought, did he have a fake hand in his arms? Yeah, I couldn't tell. But that. it wasn't. I, I it was definitely it. someone like kneeling down behind him, like with his arms around his waist. <laughs> also worth noting, like you, you can tell Frank Welker wasn't uh, established as the Hollywood voice actor for animals yet because the animal noises in this film are shite. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it just like sort that of gen squeal. generic sound clips that they're just chopping? No, it, it all just sounds a lot. I mean, half of it sounds like a person just sort of being like, dog, dog, <laughs> cat, <laughs> cat. Well, I, Pat, I, I, I genuinely got confused with when it was supposed to be Rex Harrison talking to the animals and <laughs> when it was supposed to be the animal, because Rex Harrison does do it as like, a, you know, he'll be talking to a dog and he'll go, rough, 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 sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but that fox, that because it's like screeching at one point, it's really <laughs> disturbing. And then also just the fact that they probably killed and skinned a fox to make that puppet. <laughs> I'm not convinced that that is done without animal. Uh, yeah, Very, very strange. Well, um, uh, Calvin, I, I'm assuming you know a bit more about Anthony Newley. 
Um, I'd be interested in what you know, because he seems like a very odd chap. So Anthony Newley plays Matthew Mugg in this, which is like, I don't know what his role is supposed to be, but obviously mm. we thought Rex Harrison can't carry this on, himself, on his own. <laughs> we need a younger guy to have a love interest or whatever. He's a weird guy. Like, he's not just an actor. He was, what was he, a singer, musician? He wrote music. He wrote lyrics. Yeah. He wrote, I know he wrote the music, uh, or he wrote the lyrics for Goldeneye. Um, uh, Goldfinger, wasn't it? Uh, oh, it's good. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Goldfinger. Yeah, not Gold. Mm. He's probably dead by the time Goldeneye came out. He's credited for writing Feeling Good on a number of things here. I'm assuming that's the. The song made famous by the likes of Nina Simone. That's right, yeah, that's right. Did a cover. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's quite a good. Uh... Bird flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Reeds drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. And he was Oscar nominated for the soundtrack of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So he was a music guy who then got into acting, I think, and... His writing partner was Leslie Bricuse. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But Leslie Bricuse wrote the screenplay for Dr. Doolittle. Um, mm. So, what, but then Anthony Newell is not credited in the writing for this. So, was it just like he Leslie Bricuse was writing it and he was like, oh, I know a guy who would be good for this part? <laughs> Producer? Oh, quite possibly. You know, I, I don't know, actually. I haven't read that much up on him, um, apart from had a very eclectic career and did a very yeah. nice cover of Goldfinger. Uh, he appears to have written Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, the stage musical and... and- just a very interesting career. I know. I know him for. Yeah. He, he did a sitcom, a sort of proto sitcom called "The Secret World of Gurney Slade" or something like that. But it's a very meta thing where he's in a TV show and then he comes out of it into the real world in the in the first episode. It's really surreal and weird. It was in the sixties, um, huh. and like didn't do very well at all. <laughs> but he just seems like a very fascinating, weird guy who just seemed to just he throw is. His he, hand he's at everything. He's mm. directed a film called Summertree from 1971 starring Michael Douglas that he doesn't appear to be in or have any other credits on it. Yeah. Huh. Michael Douglas and Rob Reiner. What the f- This is weird. <laughs> Isn't it? It's just... Yeah, it's very strange. And plus, also, I noticed in his... Um, when I was reading his Wikipedia page, it said that the film that kind of cemented him as a leading man was called No Time to Die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is another odd bomb bombed connection. Yeah. No. Very. Oh my god, I just sorry, he was married to Joan Collins for 7 years. Oh my god, what this man is fascinating. How come I'd never <laughs> heard of him until <laughs> until That's bizarre, yeah. But I think I think he was quite famous in his day. I got the impression he was pretty well known. Like he was a bit of a renaissance man. Uh Richard Attenborough pops up for a yeah. song randomly. Yeah. <laughs> And again, just pretty much a throwaway 
sort of two scenes that have no relevance to anything else. Yeah. Uh, I, I only really remember this because for a while in our student house, Sol became obsessed with the song uh, I've Never Seen Anything Like It. And would often, we'd be like doing a supermarket shop and he'd like pick up a particularly oddly shaped carrot and start shouting, I've never seen anything like it. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> the sort of quality comedy we've come to expect from Sol. <laughs> Uh, Well, I mean, my final note is I've never seen anything like it The film comes alive (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it it sort of does And I'm not sure why Well, I mean, I know we're at a circus So obviously all these circus performers come out And there's lots of animals marching around and stuff All the songs up until this point Have just been kind of, like, sluggish and Yeah Oh, what's it like to be an animal? To have fur all over. Because it's not Rex Harrison singing it, that's why. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas this, you're suddenly you've got this this big character, fun character, leader of the circus, and he's he's like bursting out of his skin with energy, like, oh no way, oh what's going on? Bit gitty, oh I've never seen anything like I mean, I've seen the world, I've been around, I could tell you stories that would quite astound you. I'm not a fool, I went to school, I've been from Liverpool to Istanbul. Istanbul, I'm no fool, and anyone will tell you that I'm sharper than a knife, but I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's like a really great musical number, I think. Like, not... Not something I'd like choose to listen to for the music, but just in terms of being and it, and it has that it has more of a kind of big dance routine kind of feel exactly yeah which the mm. other songs don't and it's catchy as well it has got that kind of earworm you know it's the best part of the film by a mile if the whole film was like this I'd love it just two bob just two bob well that's my job but this is so fantastic I can't wait to tell the wife Gertie you've never seen anything like it in your life. I agree that all the songs up to this point have been very sluggish and uh, meagre, I guess. I was surprised particularly with Talk to the Animals, which I think mm. of as being the signature Dr. Doolittle song. There's ju- it just never gets going. It just is so slow and sluggish, and maybe a better singer could have done it. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals. I think the orchestration's quite nice, but mm. yeah, the singing's just so weak. Anyway, that um, whole, all that circus stuff, the I've never seen anything like it, uh, I think it's kept in the film because it, it, it sort of gets us around to this subplot with Dr. Doolittle and Sophie the Seal, which right. is now, one of the strange attentions. I, I, I think I must have looked away for a second, because I looked back and he was singing a love song to a seal. <laughs> and then he had to throw her off a cliff. <laughs> and was arrested for murder. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going? But he was, he was, it was, that was definitely a love ballad to a seal, right? I wasn't just. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of stuff was cut out with him and the seal uh, because there is some odd, because sh- I think we're supposed to think that he's getting really like, hmm, there's something wrong with this seal. And then he does have a, he sings that song about how he's in it's love with horny. it. And it's like, it's really like, well, from what we've seen, the two shots of you looking at that seal and cocking an eyebrow and being like, oh, there's something sluggish about this seal. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, Sophie the seal is missing her husband up in the North Pole. And Dr. Doolittle goes through this very elaborate scheme to release her into the wild. So yeah. then he had to dress her up 
as an old lady <laughs> and then get her on a carriage and all yeah. this sort of stuff. And there's sort of like a man with a monocle next to her and it pops out. And he's like, oh my good lord, your grandmother <laughs> is a very seal-like woman. <laughs> Uh, yep. So that's weak. It. <laughs> it's so weak. Yeah. It is one of my favourite bits of the film just because of how stupid it is when he's singing that song to her and then just chucks her off. The <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, uh-huh. we're, we're skipping past how bizarre the push me pull you is. I mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The weird two headed llama or. Well, yeah. that's, it's like they decide 20 minutes into the film, well, no, more than that, I guess, 40 minutes in, like, oh, animals aren't enough, we need to start making up weird, <laughs> random shit as well. <laughs> so he gets sent a two-headed llama. Yeah. With a note with a note from his friend that says, I know you love animals a lot, so here's a weird one that you can sell to the circus for money. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> but so... it's, it's just, it's just bizarre, because he's... I mean, it's it's two people in a like, pantomime <laughs> horse costume. I, I do like I do like the way that they make no attempt to move like an animal in any way. It's just I mean, they may as well be wearing but trainers. It, <laughs> well, doesn't it? He's negotiating that like how the profits are going to be split, and the animal gets this much of the money and stuff. And it's like, well, hang on, it's an animal. <laughs> It's not going to be able to spend that money. Well, it's strange that earlier on, like, he's dealing with, um, oh god, it's that mouse, actually, that field mouse with the bent tail, and then he puts it in that contraption, and I, my, my heart was in my throat when I was watching this. I was like, oh god, that's a real mouse, and they're putting its real tail in some kind of strange vice contraption. Um, but there's a point around there where I think the he says something to the the mouse says something and then he says back, oh no, there's no charge sort of thing, but... Well, that's because that was just a quickie. Usually he's like, he fixes the cow and then he's like, oh, remind me, uh, that cow was as uh, eight pints of milk. Um, so it's like they pay in whatever they can. Uh, uh, which is usually okay. not much use to him. I mean. Yeah, mm. oh, interesting. He loves it though, when there's like a cat that an old woman's left a house to. He's like, <laughs> he's always there, like, checking up. You, you feeling all right today? You need some aspirin. Singing them love songs. <laughs> Trying to get in the will. Anyway, yeah, so that gets him arrested, and then we have this whole um, segue into a courtroom drama stuff. Yeah. Uh, he sings another song and talks to the judge's dog. And then they, the, the only sort of uh, th- plot thread that's been running through the whole thing has been that Dr. Doolittle really wants to find this giant snail thing. Mm. And he's heard tales about it and all that kind of stuff. So him and his posse, they get a boat and they literally get a map out and just point at a random island and decide to go there. Like, I, I was stunned that that was how the, this plot was going. <laughs> and this is about an hour and a half into the film as well. And it's like... Oh, where are we gonna go? Let's go there, and then they find it. <laughs> he basically just kidnaps this child. I don't know where his parents are or whatever, but Oof, you yeah. know it was the olden days, and it he could do that. Um, mm. So he takes the kid, um, just in the middle of the ocean. They have a shipwreck. They land on this island where we have another James Bond connection. Yes, uh, Jeffrey Holder. Yeah, who's Baron Samadhi, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah, uh, who is significantly uh, low energy 
here in this <laughs> film compared to Live and Let Die. I was quite excited when he popped into it. I was like, oh, yeah, gr- great. Uh, but I, I guess because of all the set problems and he probably wasn't having that great a time with the uh, <laughs> racist Rex Harrison. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then it comes through. I don't really... I, I, I was losing... Um, will to my live. attention <laughs> yeah, yeah around this point so I couldn't quite understand why right so Dr. Doolittle gets this whale to push the island mm. and there's there's like a rock on a volcano and as a result of this the rock like falls off the volcano and then because of that the like the island dwellers want to kill Dr. Doolittle and all of his mates yeah. what was that about? Yeah, it was so, like it was in the a, the holy religion scripts of the island yeah. was like the special rock has fallen to the volcano. Uh, whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a load of nonsense. And then he saves yeah. them. A, 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 the big snail turns up at some point and they live in it for a while. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I lost track of what was going on here. It was... <laughs> And yeah. then, and then Rex Harrison just sort of orders all the islanders around until they turn into a giant moth. <laughs> and then it's like, oh well, I can't go back to England because they're still going to charge. You know, I'm going to be put on trial for murder. And then he gets a a message from someone that mm. says like, oh, they're not going to actually. And he's like, oh great, I can go home now. Giant moth. Then he flies, and then that's <laughs> it. You make sound stupid, Calvin. <laughs> That's Doctor Doolittle, nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah. Doctor Doolittle, oh, uh, nominated for best picture at the Oscars. Yeah, Jesus Christ! Do you guys know know this story? Oh, about, is there a story uh, behind it? Go on. Well, obviously the film flopped massively. Um, it didn't make its money back. Uh, they spent so much money on merchandise that no one bought. And um, yeah, the the studio had put so much money into it that they launched what was described when I read the article as the most aggressive Oscar campaign ever, which basically just executives were just taking out members of the Academy, like r- like proper whining and dining um, <laughs> over the space of a few months so that it would get nominated in all these various categories, even though no one liked it or saw it. <laughs> so, But it did win uh, uh, Best Song for Talk to the Animals. Yeah, there we go. But it was nominated. Oh, it also won for best special effects. Mm, I think that's fair. The amount of animal wrangling, yeah. And then it was nominated for best picture, best art direction, best cinematography, best editing, and best original music score. Um, I can tell you what it was nominated up against for best original song. Oh my god, it won best song opposite the bare necessities. The bare necessities on the jungle <gasps> book. Jesus Christ! And wow. the, the look of love from Casino Royale. That is wow. scandalous. <laughs> that is outrageous. <laughs> listen to the oh my god! Listen to the other pic, the other films nominated for best picture: In the Heat of the Night, which won, Bonnie and Clyde, mm. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and The Graduate. I mean that Ugh. spot the odd one out of those five. Good lord! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> wow. That, I mean that just goes to show this was a real sort of changing of t- of the guard in in Hollywood, and and this mm. was old school, and like sound and music was kind of the last hurrah of it in, in a lot of ways and well shall we rate it and see how terrible it is yeah, yeah um, okay, then. five out of ten i, I found it very what? trying and 
annoying, but it had some nice moments and bits in it. I'm down to earth. I tell you straight. I can tell you stories that would fascinate you. I know the trade. I know the tricks. Here, I once bought an elephant for two pounds six. Two pounds six. Five out of ten. I think that's quite generous, to be honest. But five yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, I, similar. I found it extremely ungripping and generally quite poor. I gave it four. Mm. I think I gave it an extra point for I've never seen anything like it. But for your push me pull you, I'd pay three pounds. Four pounds. Five. Cause I've never seen anything like it that's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give it a three. I'm surprised I'm the one going the lowest here, but uh, there, there weren't that many highs. The bit that I enjoyed the most is when his sister's shrieking and all those old people in the village are, like, bumping into grandfather clocks and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and if that's the best stuff in a film, then, yeah, and there's not enough of it. It's a three. Well, let's jump 30 years ahead. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm I'm surprised it took him that long. Hmm. Yeah, because at its heart, it's a nice concept. Someone can talk to animals. Yeah. And but I guess people just ripped it off and did like the wild thornberries and stuff and realised they yeah. didn't need to license <laughs> Dr. Doolittle to do it. So a new version of Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy as the star. Eddie Murphy in his kind of, I'm trying to do family stuff, but not really kind of face. It was the beginning of the end of his career, really, wasn't it? It was Or the middle of the end, maybe. And, and it's very much, we take the concept of someone talks to animals, that is all we're taking from the original stories. <laughs> And the name. Yeah, a remake done as they should be, you know, completely. Oh, no, I, yeah, I think that's not a bad idea. And I think they, yeah. they you know, they bring it up to a contemporary uh, time and, yeah, totally different tone and feel to it. They also basically make it that he can talk to them kind of magically, mm. uh, which works. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it's just like bullshit. Yeah, you can, because <laughs> if you actually try and explain it scientifically, obviously it's not going to add up. So. Um, now, I haven't watched the Eddie Murphy Doctor Doolittle for a long time, but I was looking forward to getting into this one as well. I don't think I watched it since 1998. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I must admit, it did not live up to my hopes. It, it was... I, I, I mean, I don't know... What are they aiming at here? Because it's, it's a PG film, but it's not really like a kiddie, friendly, family yeah, I mean, that, film. I was, I was very struck by... Um, a scene where a tiger's threatening to commit suicide and then an animal shouts, Stop, you big pussy! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. There's, there's a few mild swears. There's a, there's definitely some sort of sexual um, inferences. What, who was this aimed at? Because it's not like an adult... Well, fam- like... It was a family audience. I went to see it, in, I think, in the cinema when I was eight. Yeah. Likewise. That you just snuck, you snuck like jokes in like that for kids back then. I mean, mm. you still do now, but I think they were a bit more crass with it. <laughs> yeah, they just haven't quite got that mm. subtlety there. Whereas now they just try and do good jokes for adults, like a Pixar film would. But... Mm. Hmm. I-, I was very familiar with this film, actually. It was one of the few um, videos that I had over at um, uh, a family member's house um so it would often get a lot of play because of that and uh yeah i I was pleasantly surprised coming back to it i thought it was uh held up pretty well really Mm, really? (laughs) (laughs) well i was sort of confused straight away because norm mcdonald was narrating i was like what the fuck is (laughs) that is weird isn't it mcdonald narrating is obviously like not as just a sort of voice of god narrator but this is obviously before he became a character in it as the voice of the dog i love Mm. norm mcdonald I love him so much. He's so funny. I like Norm Macdonald, but he... I mean, he's no actor. 
He's not an No, actor. I know, but he, he is just... He is an effortlessly funny man in real life, and I don't think any of that really comes across in this film, no. but... I have no idea who this man is. Well, he's a stand-up comedian. He was on Saturday Night Live for many years. I think he got fired because he was a bit too much of yeah. a wild card. When the people here ask me to do the show, you know, I gotta say, I felt kind of weird, you know. I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I used to actually be on this show, you know. Uh, I used to do the uh, weekend update news routine, you remember that? And, uh, yeah. That's where I did the make-believe news jokes, you know? That was me, right? So then, a year and a half ago, right, I had a sort of a, a disagreement with the management at, uh, at the NBC. Uh, I wanted to keep my job, right? And they felt the exact opposite. So... So you see, they like, uh, they fired me because they said that I wasn't funny, you know? Now, but now, this is the weird part, right? It's only a year and a half later, and now they asked me to host the show. So I wondered, I go, hey, wait a second here. Hey! I go, how did I go in a year and a half from being not funny enough to be even allowed in the building? to being so funny that I'm now hosting the show. How did I suddenly get so damn funny? It was inexplicable to me, because a year and a half, then it occurred to me, I haven't gotten funnier. The show has gotten really bad. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. But, but he's, he's known for being a, a real, like, a bit of a punk rocker within, like, stand-up yeah. comedy and a bit, like, impossible to control. A bit controversial. Um, Hmm. One of his most infamous um, scenes on the internet is is him on Conan O'Brien or something like that. Carrot Top did a movie. You know Carrot Top? <laughs> I know of him. Chairman um, of the board. Chairman of the board. Yeah. So it's 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 Carrot Top's um, romantic interest, Courtney Thorne Smith, I believe, and it's like her. So she's mm. sort of really, but he's just there, like Don being the guest, sat next to them when she's trying to promote the film, and he's just there, like nothing but making out. All right, it's like nine and a half weeks, but carrot top. <laughs> we were doing. Wow, I gotta check out that movie. Is it called Nine and a Half Seconds? <laughs> Like he's premature ejaculated. We got it. You know, you know what happened? This is what happened. You know what happened? He said nine and a half seconds, and I'm looking at him because I know there's more. And I wait and wait, and I see the glimmer in the eye, and then bang! I thought you were going to crack whore, but no. But uh, what's the movie going to be called? Really? Well, I know what it's going to be called. Yeah, what's that? If it's got Carrot Top in it, you know what a good name for it would be? What's that, Norm? Box Office Poison. Courtney Thorne Smith 
the girl sitting to your left is in the movie. I'm going to go see it for fun. <laughs> How do you scare everybody else away? No, I love this girl. I would see any movie with this girl in it. She's a beautiful lady and, and a talented, nice talk show guest. Okay. As evidenced by her appearance on our rival show. All right, well, there's this two-hour season finale of Melrose Place. There's this movie coming out. Yes. Title undetermined at this point. Chairman of the board. Oh, all right. Do something with that, you freak. <laughs> I, I bet the board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. Well, um, as you, I'm sure you know, Sol, uh, Chairman of the Board was uh, the directorial uh, debut, or at least... Um, feature debut of Alex Zam, who, amongst many other glorious films, directed um, Dr. Doolittle Million Dollar Mutts. Uh, oh my God. We wow. <laughs> also did Inspector Gadget 2, uh, Jingle yeah. All the Way oh. 2, <laughs> lots of twos oh. in his uh, CV. <laughs> in more ways than one. Anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that later. <laughs> to get back to Dr. Doolittle, and like I say, as uh, Looking at the cast here, specifically kind of the vo voice caster the, doing the various animals. And now it's, it is a job where it's like, look, we need to get you in the studio for about three hours. Do this and we'll pay you some money. <laughs> if that. You can get... Pee Wee Herman <laughs> has one line in it. Well, exactly. But they've gone for comedians. You've got Albert Brooks, Chris Rock, uh, Julie Kavner. There's <laughs> a pigeon. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, you know, Gilbert Gottfried's in there. It's like they, these yeah. are they've gone for comedy. John Leguizamo was basically a comedian at that point. Yeah, yeah. Gary Shandling. Yeah, mm. it does seem telling of what they were aiming for. And you know, you've got Eddie Murphy in the lead role. It feels like this should be. A, I know it is a comedy, but a different type of comedy. Like it just mm. feels like they need to be. Well, let off the leash, if I dare use that. <laughs> you know what's, what's bizarre is that the likes of uh, Paul Rubens, Gilbert Gottfried, with like one or two lines of dialogue, yeah. are credited. Paul Giamatti isn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think he, re he saw the film and requested to have his name removed? I mean, what's that about? He Was he big enough at this point that it would be like a... You know, he he. You know, do the, like the Gary Oldman thing in Hannibal, and just like oh, I don't want to be credited, and it just adds to the mystery of the. I wouldn't role. have thought so, but he's a big part of the film. You know, he's not a, an insubstantial role in it. Mm. Paul Giamatti yeah. was in Private Parts, which is a film about Howard Stern, which was directed mm. by Betty Thomas the year before she directed this film. So it might have been her calling in a favor. Uh, like, mm. or her just sort of like, because she'd worked with him before. He was like, "Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, just don't credit me. I don't want to get involved." So, <laughs> so there's a connection with the director. That's the only thing I can point to as explaining that. I don't know. Uh, another notable cast member who appears in front of the camera. Um, hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Calvin, have we ever got you to do the Jeffrey Tambor voice? I can't remember. The Jeffrey Tambor voice? Yeah. I don't think we have. What is that? <laughs> just, so, just, Calvin, just in the deepest voice. So don't, like, put a voice on other than making your voice as deep as you possibly can. Just say, oh, okay. hey now. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Kind of hey half now. work there. You know, Hank, I was just uh, wondering why you say that hey now thing. 
What do you mean? Well, it's just something that you used on the show, and now you're starting to use it in your personal life, and, and, and it's an affectation of some sort, isn't it? Did you ever say, hey, now, as a, as a kid? No, I don't. I probably didn't. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, uh, I said, uh, hey. Yeah. And I said, uh, now, I right, mean, right, at, right, at sure, different sure. times. I but see. I, I, no, I never put them together till later in life. Uh-huh. So, in that sense, it's, it's, uh, it's part of my personality. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor um, playing a bit of an asshole. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> he's really stepping out of his comfort zone there. Actually, there was one thing that struck me in that scene uh, with, where they take the dog to the vet. I thought the puppet work and combining a puppet with live action animals with a bit of CGI worked really nicely here. I thought it was quite smooth and sort oh God, of I mean, put together. I have to say. The special effects in these films holds up really well, particularly oh, yeah. the second one. The second film, I, I don't know if you guys rewatched that one, but like I, I genuinely couldn't tell what was and wasn't a puppet in mm. places um, mm. with those bears. And like the the only thing they're really CGIing is the mouth to make them move a little bit, which is yeah. actually a small detail, and it, it so it doesn't. It's not like they're trying to recreate a whole dog and make it do backflips or something. Yeah, you can tell occasionally an animal is like green screened onto a shot with another animal, and they obviously weren't there next to each other. But for the most part, it is done very well, and I was surprised at how well the effects held up to say it's 1998 CGI being yeah. employed. Hmm. But I think it's because they were very sparing with it. I think they did as much of it practically as possible. And yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Thing, yeah. Yeah. One specific scene I'd like to talk about. Uh, so the dog gets taken to the dog pound because he's a stray and Eddie Murphy goes to sort of like oh I'll go and rescue him but then they do this I'm going to rescue a dog shit <laughs> they do this um, <laughs> because it's at the pound they do a kind of jail dog jail pastiche and they decide to throw some film references in there now oh this is something this franchise is terrible uh, I for mean, just like what's a movie what's a movie uh, uh, is that the bit where a dog just goes hello Clarice? <laughs> <laughs> no, that actually that's that's in one of the later ones. Uh, that's in one of the Kyla Pratt ones. But no, in this one, but this is this is a film where they'll like they'll like walk down the street and there'll be like a a, a squirrel will come out and just go Royale achievements, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they'll just carry on well, walking. This, this is the worst one because like there's the 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 walking through the jail and and one of the well, dogs goes oh dead dog walking which makes sense like it might dog might go yeah, to get put yeah, down good. and all that and then they've got one that does a kind of sling blade voice where he's going I swear I ain't going to hurt him yeah. Anymore. And it's like, like that, yeah. okay, he was in prison, I suppose. Everyone was doing Sling Blade impressions in and the late <laughs> 90s. That was just go-to hack. Exactly. It was... The audience suggestion is Sling Blade and Oprah on a date. I sure do like them French fried potatoes. No, you don't, Oprah. I love my fried potatoes. <laughs> French fried potatoes. potatoes. What is it? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Eddie Murphy doing that voice himself. He, he probably just went, I'll do some basic voices, Shrek. So it goes to the next cell, and it's just a dog, and you hear his voice going, I am Kaiser Sose. Yeah! It's like, what? <laughs> That's not a quote from the film. It's, in fact, he's never in jail in that film, and the whole point is that he doesn't admit that he's Kaiser Sose. What the, it was the laziest writing. Someone's just gone like, oh, let's throw some jail references in it. Does anybody anybody know any jail films? <laughs> like, they've, they've got no. to be films from like the last five years. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, though. The biggest laugh I got, and I, I, I imagine you got it as well, Sol. Uh, 
I think Eddie Murphy and the wife, they're getting it on in the bed. Uh, and the dog walks in <laughs> and does an Austin It's Norm MacDonald doing an Austin Powers impression <laughs> yeah. as a dog. Yeah, baby. <laughs> he comes in and going, oh, yeah, you, oh, yeah, baby, you're getting horny. <laughs> but it's Norm MacDonald. <laughs> and I can just imagine how uncomfortable he is with it. That was a throwaway enough little line that was relevant to the situation that that character might just chuck out. It, 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 it was, I mean, it was bad. It was because it was Norm Macdonald. <laughs> yeah. There's some sort of plot going on here where he's like, they're trying to sell the hospital and he's, because he's going mad and talking to animals, it's ruining it. You got Oliver Platt as like the dickhead one. David Skiff <laughs> is the kind of Love nice Oliver one. Platt. Peter Boyle's there. It's all kind of, it's all a load of nonsense and it's just like setting up, oh, he has these different pressures on him and he's got to choose the right path of saving animals. And then there's this big sort of the climactic scene is him performing brain surgery on a tiger, um, (laughs) uh, which is fair enough. I mean, it all works in the kind of context of the slightly nonsense world we're living in there, in that story world. But all very basic, straightforward stuff as well. And... I mean, for me, I was just sort of let down a bit overall by the level of comedy and, and the writing was just weak. And, mm. You know, it was a bit of a disappointment, to be honest. I don't think my expectations were very high coming back, so I, I just thought it just worked at a base level of what it's supposed yeah, I to be. I, I smirked a bit here and there. Um, I liked the guinea pig, particularly the bit where he like um, drops it in the middle of nowhere and then he goes off. And then he puts it on the roof like Mitt Romney did with a dog. <laughs> I I get why it you know was a big hit in the nineties as a just kind of base level family bit of crap. <laughs> I think you know I think I enjoyed it as a kid because mm. yeah. you know I, I loved animals as a kid and mm. there's a surprising lack of films that really play into animals hundreds of them I mean, we've not really touched upon that but i think that that is that is a very good point actually it's like as a kid it's like you know especially if you're a kid that loved animals like just the the concept that oh god i could talk to them it, it's a yeah. real sort of child fantasy um, oh, completely yeah yeah uh, brought to life in these films uh, that probably can't be underestimated really strong that concept is what other animal extravaganza films were there in the 90s this is this is the Jurassic Park of, of broad strokes <laughs> animals. There was Ace Ventura as well. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah, Ace Ventura, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else. But Ace Ventura was a 15, mm. so you had to you had to be like with with you know a, a cool friend's house. Uh, <laughs> they had it on video or something. Maybe that's kind of what this was going for. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it wasn't good, was it? It's not a good film. I don't know. I just. <laughs> I think it's better than the 60s one. By far, yeah. I don't. I don't think that's a high. Yes. What did you rate it? Oh, well, it would be a six from me. Like I say, I think it's just sort of pitched very well at family entertainment. I remember watching it a fair few times when I was a kid and getting a lot out of it. So yeah, I think it, I think it's fair. I think it's a, a passable bit of entertainment. Like I say, I was just slightly disappointed. I feel like it has the capacity to be much more. Eddie Murphy has the capacity to do much more. I gave it a five. Mm. Yeah, I gave it a five as well. Eh, there's not much difference between... Yeah. <clears throat> if I can jump straight to Doctor Doolittle 2, I enjoyed this more, basically. And the the reason was, put it straight out what it was, Eddie Murphy. 
Doctor Doolittle too. Yeah. Eddie Murphy is having fun. He's freewheeling. They're not bothered about him sticking to the character at all. Uh, hmm. Like in the first one, he's working a script and he's got a character. In this one, it's just like Eddie, just be you. Throw some mm. lines off, do some ad libbing. It's fine. And I enjoyed it so much more because of that. I I kind of agree. Yeah, I thought this felt far more comfortable in what it was doing, and a lot of the comedy and worked a lot more. The plot felt more. It it felt just better, more organic, relevant to the character, but also like I don't know, higher stakes. I certainly started off preferring this to the first film. I mean, basically as it went on, I kind of it just all dragged. Like, oh, come on. Did you watch this one, Calvin? Or? I didn't rewatch it for this review, but again, I had the video when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, my memory of this one is that I didn't watch it nearly as in, as uh, as much as the first one. I definitely didn't like it as much. Um, I think a large part of it is because I like I like the first film when he's like he's doing a lot of freaking out because he can't believe that he's got these powers and all that kind of stuff. I like that a lot of Eddie Murphy running around screaming at animals and then sort of screaming yeah. back. I remember this one didn't have any of that really because he's comfortable with it now, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, this yeah. this is more just like you know Eddie Murphy yelling at a a bear, but then his wife comes out and thinks he's yelling at her and <laughs> like that. Look, shut up and listen. The strongest male is called the alpha male. He wants everybody to know he's the boss male. You have to be him, the boss of all the males. It's about pure, unchecked, uncompromised, testosterone-driven male power. John. Didn't I ask you to line the garbage pails? And you line them your damn self, woman! What? I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I was talking to the animals. I got a little riled up. I was teaching them something. Stop messing with those animals and go and get us something to eat. Okay, I'm on my way. Going to get the food right now, honey. Go. Oh, on my way. Way to go, alpha male. Talk the talk. Shut up! Who are you telling to shut up? I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to them. I was talking to the animals. I'm going to get the food. But this, I think the plot line here is a little bit more linear as well because rather than having to do set up this idea that he talks to animals and then he's freaking out and then we need a bit of plot just to give it some closure. This is mm. just, here's a plot, here's the story we're going on. Look, he's, Save the forest, he's trying yeah. to get the bears to shag each other. And the subplot is that his daughter's got a boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> Classic Eddie Murphy comedy. <laughs> that daughter's Ray- Raven Simone, isn't it? Yeah, like she's, it is, uh, yeah, 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 she's yeah. a she's so bit raven. of a name. She's so Raven. Uh, interestingly, she at the end, she is revealed that she can talk to animals as well. And it's difficult for her to take because it's the younger daughter who's the one who's interested in all that. And she's not. She's just like, oh, I want to look at my phone and get off with boys. It's not really played for any character reasons. It's just a sort of thing at the end. But interestingly, mm. when we do go into the next film, it's not her. <laughs> it's the other daughter talking to animals. So they just <laughs> the cheaper sort of, one. Yeah, they just sort of like, I want to fuck that. <laughs> but anyway, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, I think one slight problem here is the bear, which is sort of like pretty much the secondary character, played by Steve Zahn, or rather voiced mm. by Steve Zahn, played by a bear. And... Mm. It feels like they needed to get someone like Norm Macdonald. <laughs> oh, he's still there. Uh, or Lisa Kudrow. You know, Lisa Kudrow is a great choice of um, a great bit of casting as the the lady bear. I mean, I haven't got mm. I haven't got a problem with Steve Zahn exactly. It's it's more the way they characterise the bear. He's supposed to he's be like a bit lovely. of a yeah. Well, it, it's like is he supposed to be like uh, he's scared of being outdoors or he's like closet, He's kind of you know he's been cosseted his whole life or whatever. But then. 
he doesn't really play like that and he's actually quite confident in a lot of ways and it, I don't know it's just like they feel like they really need to nail that down char- that character down so that they could then have the kind of growth and mm. we understand where he's going and where he gets to and it, it just all feels very vague and like he's just a bit of a doofus other other new cast members in this one include uh, Andy Richter as someone that I assumed I'd forgotten was in the first film, but wasn't. <laughs> and who does he play? Uh, he plays that that like weird nerdy guy that he goes to for advice on how to keep the forest. Oh from yeah, the zookeeper out. guy. Yeah, he's a zoo guy. Yeah. Um, we have Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Everyone's favourite. <laughs> Odd seeing him in a kid's film. <laughs> Whatever happened but, uh... to his career? <laughs> <laughs> it can't have been long after this that it... All but the, I, I, when, he, when he popped up, I was like, oh, wow, they, they were still hiring him. But then I looked it up. This was, this was before all that stuff came oh, out. Yeah. So I thought he put all the weight on because he was like, oh, well, that's my acting career done. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently not. Can I can I just throw something here, Sol? I, I suspect, Sol, that as a child, you were a big fan of Steve Irwin. The, the oh, I was just about to talk were about you, Steve. Were you? Was that? Was that? I was. I was a huge fan of Steve. I had a feeling you would be. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he was hilarious to a kid. Yeah, exactly. I think it was all ironic. But then I, I think as I got older, I realised that he was kind of in on the how ironic it was. <laughs> as a kid, it was like, look at this madman! What a maniac! <laughs> but yeah, he pops up for a little cameo. Now, what we're gonna do is sneak up on and rescue this unsuspecting alligator. We'll have to be quiet so he doesn't know we're here. The trick with catching this alligator is to be wary of those teeth. Huge, hey, penetrating dude. teeth. See, what I'm doing is allowing Steve to think that I don't know he's back there. Wait until he tries to grab me, turn on him, and Bob's your uncle bite his arm off. <laughs> and I'm going to have to get my arm around his neck and hang hey, on. Hey, Come Steve, on. I think he knows we're all... Shh, I don't want to blow the element of surprise. Now! Oh, God! Right in me up! I like his cameo, yeah. I thought it was good. Steve Owen just does a, a great bit of ADR over, like, the footage fading to black. <laughs> <laughs> Going, crikey, me up! <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'd react if I was eating burger or up. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, it's great. It's brilliant. So, yeah, a few other voices. Uh, Michael Rappaport is the raccoon. Yeah, sort yeah. Of a, there's a sort of mafia animal thing going on in the forest. Isaac Hayes, Andy Dick, David Cross. I I wanted to ask you because there's a wolf in this who is very clearly characterised after uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I cannot, for the life of me, figure out who did the voice. IMDb credits Arnold Schwarzenegger as the White Wolf uncredited archive sound, yeah. which would suggest they were taking yeah. audio clips from his films. Yeah, I couldn't work that, that out either. Yeah. Now, I mean, I might be wrong, but to my ear, it didn't sound like it was actually him. It sounded like someone doing an Arnold impression. Mm. What do you think you're doing? Who, 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 me? No, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you know, assuming the position. Hey, you marked my tree. Oh, no, I would never do that. I would never mark... Mark your tree. I don't even know what those words mean. I drank a lot of water. I'll tell you something about water. It goes right through me. Come on. It smells like lemonade. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see your point. Yeah, yours is very, very strong. It's like, like ammonia. I'm actually getting dizzy, to tell you the truth. And I, I tried looking this up. I couldn't find anything about it anywhere. So, could you um think of like what film it, they could have possibly taken it from? What was what was his line? 
Yeah, he does say that it's ice to see him. Like, at one point he goes, hasta la vista, baby, but the delivery is nothing like, like, it's a real, hasta la vista, baby! Like, in, in, he doesn't do it like that in Terminator 2. It's, you know, uh, it's... Okay. I, my guess is it's someone credited in the film elsewhere. It'll be John DiMaggio. Doing it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I kind of thought at times, huh, that sounds a bit like Eddie Murphy. So I wonder if he was doing the odd little animal line and stuff. Hmm. Not that I think it was him doing a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, but... Yeah, I think it probably was someone like Tom Kenny or or John DiMaggio or someone. Hmm. Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is not for this episode, but I just forgot to tell you earlier. I was watching Little Women, and you know, in Little Women, certainly in the first half of it, like the whole point is that these little these young women, uh, they're living with their mother, but their dad's gone off to the war, civil war, uh, and it's like this big thing when he returns home, he finally comes home, and it's this big reunion. Oh, daddy, my daddy, I love you. All this thing. But as the guy walks in, it's like this kind of reveal moment, and it was Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't take it seriously. I don't know why. And then, like, he's in it for the rest of the film, and he's like, obviously, oh, a perfect good actor and everything. But it's because it was this big. Was great it's because it was this big reveal moment. It's like the big reveal, and it's Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I had to stop myself from laughing. <laughs> anyway, so. So yeah, Doctor Doolittle 2, that's about it really, isn't it? Um, yeah, should, more of the same. Do you want to rate that? I mean, I, I I preferred it. I'm not saying it's an amazing film, but I I went one better. I gave it a 6 out of 10, just for better Eddie Murphy, really. That's all I need. I I dropped it down to a 4. Um, I do think this is made better and, and following a... I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think it's just somewhere along the line it kind of becomes really dull and uninteresting it just outstays its welcome in a way that the first film kind of doesn't i i suppose partly because the first film is a bit more disjointed and following different plot lines i don't know if it's fair for me to rate it given that it's been so long since i've last last seen it but if you were to ask 11 year old calvin (laughs) what he thought of it he would probably say five Right, so I have never seen any of these further uh, <laughs> sequels. Did you guys watch them? Because I know it takes, um, yeah, Kyla Pratt, Maya Doolittle. Who is the and... younger child of Doolittle. Yes. And she's the There's one... There's three of these, right? There are three of them. Did you watch them all, Saul? No, I, I did want to, um, but I didn't have the time. I, I just kind of reached a point where I was like, look, I watched all the fucking Home Alone sequels. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll I'll tell you, I watched them, <laughs> but um, I mean, the the good thing about them is that they they they're a tight eighty five minutes. Like they they know what they're doing, and that, it made them quite <laughs> easy to watch to work through. But yeah, it takes hmm. yeah Kyla Pratt, who is the younger daughter of Doctor Doolittle, and is, so is she the same actor. Yes. Okay. Which is good, and in fact, in the first yeah, one, in Doctor Doolittle three, you have the same mother. Obviously, Dr. Doolittle himself, Eddie Murphy, is not in it, but like you see the mum on the phone going, Oh, I've just talked to your dad. He's in Africa looking at some rhinos or something. Um, Do they have not even a voice cameo, nothing? No, not even archive sound of him going, Oh, wow. Hey. You mean they've not even got me going, Hey, Kyle, it's me, Eddie Murphy, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. They literally got they got Kyla Kyla Pratt's voicemail. <laughs> they sent her in like a birthday message or something. <laughs> no, uh, they don't have that. They also they don't have the older sister and mm. never refer to her in any way. No, oh. um, interesting. But 
the character is supposed to be 17. Yeah, so safe to assume her sister's... She's probably gone off to uni or whatever, yeah. And and the the whole explanation of Dr. Doolittle is that he is now a very famous and well-known guy who talks to animals and he's going around doing lots of great scientific research and, and working with animals and stuff. Perfectly justified in that sense. She's like going through typical teenage girl stuff, like she's trying to get on with the popular girls, she doesn't feel like she fits in. And so her mother forces her to go to a ranch uh, called oh the Durango Ranch, where she um, like they learn to ride horses and stuff. What a missed... I mean, <laughs> I feel like you do the ranch in the fourth one. I feel like Doctor Doolittle three, you get some japes out of her being in high school. You do high school mm. kid learns they can talk to animals, and surely that's. But yeah, whatever. All right. Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it, the, the, that's the first 10 minutes, basically, where she's like, animals are talking to her, and she's like, stop talking to me, I am look like a freak in front of everyone. And then the, like, the popular girl goes, oh my god, who are you talking to? Are you talking to that squirrel? And she's like, no, what, squirrel? No, what? I can't talk to squirrels, what are you talking about? He's like, really weak stuff. And, but if Doctor Doolittle's a really famous celebrity, and she's the daughter of him, it wouldn't be that weird to be like, "Oh yeah, I can do that as well." Exactly, and that's part. Oh, cool. That's part that's of the so problem cool. with it. In that, yeah, she's sort of really embarrassed by it because she feels like she doesn't fit in. But it never quite plays like the that. only reason you'd be embarrassed by it is because people wouldn't believe you and they'd think yeah. you're crazy. You know? But then you can prove it. Yeah. Yeah. That that is a problem that occurs throughout the films, and 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 then so yeah. anyway, she goes to this ranch and she. She doesn't tell everyone who she is. She pretends, you know, she changes her name so they don't know who she is. And so she can be herself. But it hmm. it, it works. I, I can totally see why this film would appeal to, say, you know, a 12-year-old. It, it works yeah. on that level. The plotting is fine. And, like, there's all these other kids at the ranch. Well, you know, they're supposed to be about 17. They're all, like, 28-year-old actors. But... They're, and it works on the level like they're all kind of they don't get on and then they have to learn to work together and and then they at the end they save the ranch by winning the big competition against the other ranch and uh, you know it, it's re, it's kind of basic stuff but it works it incorporates the animal talking because she has to embrace the fact that she talks to animals because then the animals help them win the rodeo oh they cheat them yeah they cheat <clears throat> and um, <laughs> Also, Lucky Lucky the dog, played by Norm Macdonald's there, uh-huh. but he is in all of these, and he mm. is, is, you know, he's the forever companion of Kyla Pratt. He's like, he's always okay. there. It's, I mean, Norm Macdonald does a lot of shit, it has to be said. Any, <laughs> well, it's easy work, work, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You can't, can't blame him for and that. he's got a good voice, to be fair. He's got a really good voice, so... Yeah. But they very much go with, whatever the story is, Kyla Pratt goes and does it, the dog goes with her, and then the monkey, like, mm. hides in the suitcase and goes with them. Uh, but then the monkey's not usually that involved, but he goes off and has a little side uh, story. Yeah, the dog, the lucky, the dog, uh, a distinctly a different dog. Uh, Doctor Doolittle 3, I gave it 5 out of 10. Like I said, I think it works on its own, like the level it's pitching at. Yeah. But it is just quite I can imagine. weak and, you know, it's obviously just being tossed off. Yeah, that's like me, man. Mm. That's like me when I went crawling the streets for that uh, <laughs> lady of the night. Lady? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> um, so the fourth one, I, I was very disappointed I didn't get to watch this one. Dr. Doolittle Tale <laughs> to the Chief. Because it seems to be set in the White House. I love a good oh God, political really? satire. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the fourth one is an extremely weak plot premise. One day, the F- not the FBI, the Secret Service, or some sort of 
White House aides turn up on uh, the Doolittle doorstep and like, oh, we need Dr. Doolittle. we got a problem with our animal at the White House. And they're like, oh, he's off in Africa looking at some rhinos or something. Uh, but then she's like, oh, well, I can do it. I can talk to the animals. The president has a dog. It's always there at public events, but it's recently started acting up. Um, and so they need someone to talk to it. Well, it's because it's because the dog's a Republican, <laughs> and he takes issue with the president's uh... affiliation. Do you, do you know? You know, every president ever pretty much has had like a lot of pets, apart from Donald Trump, who's had no pets ever. That makes you seem more human, doesn't it? Yeah, but like they, they, it, you've got to go back like hundreds of years. It's insane. They they normally have at least a dog, if nothing else. But I mean, some of them were mad, you know. So, fucking, some of them had like pet crocodiles and hippos and stuff. I mean, you're mm. going back a few years there, but Calvin Coolidge had a, a pet hippo. And the, the guy who plays the president is Peter Coyote, who you will know from things. He's one of those people who you know he's in a lot of stuff. And I have to say, he's the best thing in it, and he brings a real dignity to the film that it doesn't deserve, and it really holds the film together when all the stupid stuff is going on. This is mad, actually. I've, I'm just looking at a list here. You actually, you have to go back to James K. Polk, who I've never heard of, <laughs> to get a president who had no pets. And he was in office 1845 to 1849. And even even before him, he's the only other president in history to have had no pets. Hmm. That is odd, isn't it? That's very weird. <laughs> Andrew Johnson didn't have official pets, but it says he fed white mice he found in the bedroom. <laughs> he, he what? He fed mice that lived oh, in the right. White House. Oh. <laughs> um, also, I've just noticed that Jennifer Coolidge is one of the listed voices. But Jennifer Coolidge and Richard Kind as a, as a groundhog. Okay, so in the in the plot here, there is they obviously they realise that the president's dog is having a bit of a. Um, you know, in a bit of a bad mood, yeah, isn't enough stakes. So this is the plot line that they set up, right? In a not very subtle way. The, right. There's a prince of some made-up nation. They're going to sell off this rainforest to be developed. And so the president has got to convince the prince to not and to set up in like a national reserve for this rainforest to save mm. all the animals. The problem is the prince's young daughter is a big fan of the dog. And if the dog misbehaves... He won't sign, and he's coming oh, round for a big dinner. <laughs> what? That's it. That is the plot. <laughs> and so <laughs> then she spends like a week trying to convince this dog that she should be good, and it's Jennifer Co- <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge going like, "Fuck you! I don't know what you tell me." <laughs> and then, and then, and at no point goes, "Well, if you do this just for this, they're going to save a rainforest and save like loads of animals." Like they don't do that at any point. What happened? So then at the state dinner, like the, it's all going to go well. The dog comes out. The dog sings the national anthem of this fake country, which is literally it, it, the dog comes out and they put a microphone next to it and it goes. <laughs> and it goes on for about a minute. It's like, oh my God, we have to listen to a whole <laughs> fake national anthem sung by a dog. <laughs> That's that. I gave that one. What did I give it? Four out of ten. Mm, okay. Apparently Franklin Roosevelt had a, a, <laughs> oh, a Great Dane called President. <laughs> that makes sense. Meta-human. I'm surprised that they never made a uh, Doctor Doolittle TV series with Kyla Pratt, to be honest. Like, just how you were talking about the plot then, that just sounded like, oh yeah, that would be like a, you know, 
30 minute one of those like disney style sitcom sort of things uh, i don't know how feasible that would be to do with live animals and voiceover and all that kind of stuff but i'm surprised they didn't do an animated thing but then i guess wild thornbreeze mm. have probably taken the wind from their sails at that point i also haven't seen the uh, the fifth film but i'm looking at the wikipedia page now and i've noticed that kyla pratt is not on the dvd cover <laughs> so they've gone with the animals is this yeah, they've, they've worked out Carla well, Pratt is not a bankable name. <laughs> the front cover is so the title Doctor Doolittle Million Dollar Mutts, yeah. and then the the front of the DVD cover is the dog with like glasses on, mm. sunglasses, and then the tagline is Lucky Goes to Hollywood, and there's some kind of little Chihuahua thing with like a bow tie on and a backwards cap. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. This is all about the dogs now, isn't it? They've really. They're going to focus on the doggy yes. bit. No, it's yes. pretty much the same as the last one. It's all about... Oh, really? Kyla Pratt and the dog sort of goes along with her for the ride. Oh, oh wow. man, the cast is... The cast's good for this one. Oh, <gasps> Judge Reinhold! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Judge Reinhold is in one scene, precisely one scene that they could afford him for. I mean, what, what, yeah, what do you mean, Sol, about the cast? Because he's the only name I recognise. Oh, Paulie Shaw. Paulie Shaw is a cat. Stephen Root. Yes, he has approximately three lines. Good, good. He's also credited as a turtle, and I'm pretty sure it's a tortoise. He's a tortoise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Americans can't tell the difference. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird that. Why can't Americans tell the difference between turtles and tortoises? Like, they really seem to struggle with it. I've heard, like, smart American people talk about this, and they, like, refer to tortoises as if they're a kind of turtle. Well, I blame the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles myself. Oh. It might be that, you know, yeah. Mm. In the previous film... One of the the subplot is that she's trying to get into uni to to study veterinarianism, which makes sense. Uh, but she's not that good at school. Her grades are shit. So they're like, mm, we know you can talk to the animals and that. So we like you. We want to take you, but you're a bit shit. <laughs> so her going and... You're like the single most qualified person to be a vet in the world, other than your dad. But, yeah, okay. exactly. But... So her going to help the president means she gets, like, the president sends a letter to the school saying, oh, you should definitely get her. She's top top bollocks. Right. Um, so this oh, one... So there's continuity then. Oh, That's yeah. Interesting. So this this is her... Oh, in two weeks, I'm going to uni to start studying veterinarianism. She watches this video that it sort of explains what the course is, and she finds out that the course is, like, science, and they have to learn medicine and anatomy and stuff, and not just talk to animals. And she's like, what the fuck? I don't want to do that. That's how shit. <laughs> I can't do it. Oh my God. And like, I don't know why she didn't look at that before she went in the course. Instead, she goes to Hollywood because... <laughs> Does she sell out? <laughs> she goes to Hollywood at the behest of this like it girl kind of, you know, it's supposed to be like a Paris Hilton type kind of vacuous blonde yeah. woman um, who has a chihuahua. Kyla Pratt talks to the Chihuahua and solves the problems, and 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 then so then this girl is like, oh my god, you should like totally do a reality show where it's you talking to animals, which is actually a really oh good idea. Like obviously that would sell. I mean I think there is an, a, a show that does that, except it's just this guy who like says he understands how animals work, and he just he's called the Dog Whisperer or whatever it is. <laughs> Caesar Caesar Milan, yeah, is that this shit on Fox? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so obviously that show would work. But then it's like it's like it plays it as a satire of Hollywood and of TV and like vacuous TV and 
she they go around meeting all these celebrities with their animals and there's this sort of like TV producer slash agent who's obviously like an arsehole. He's, he's kind of a poor man's Matthew Lillard. And he's like trying to get a sign this contract for this TV show and then... But then obviously the TV show is not what she wants it to be. She wants it to help animals, but the TV show is actually like really crap. Mm. Uh, it's mm. it's weak. It's very weak. They really don't care. You can tell that nobody cares what's happening. They're just tossing it off and like, let's make some money. Well, and you're, you're saying Eddie Murphy isn't in this one. <laughs> Basically, this dog that she's friends with, not Lucky, but another one, is feeling sick. And she's like, oh, maybe you should like um, change your diet or something. She's like, okay. And then, like, two days later, the dog is, like, really sick and they have to take it to a vet. And, and the vet's like, oh, no, it's okay. We know what it is. She's going to survive. But it's actually, like, if you're a vet, it's, like, really easy to identify. You would have spotted it straight away. And so, obviously, Caliprat's like, hmm. oh, my God, I should be a vet. I thought talking to animals was enough, but I need to learn how to cure them medically. Which is very much like psychiatrists can fuck themselves. <laughs> it's like, all problems are medical. <laughs> if you can't... Like, if you can't tell me what your problem is, then it doesn't matter. Very stupid and pointless, but the point of it is she learns that she has to go to school instead of going to make millions in Hollywood. Why doesn't she do both? You think there's no demand for a reality show about a vet who can talk to animals? There's no there's no mm. middle ground at all in this. It's very basic. There's a popular series on Fox now about Dr. Oakley, who is a vet in the Yukon. She can't talk <laughs> to animals. <laughs> <laughs> or he <I> never watched <laughs> it <laughs> the weakest one of the lot definitely the last one I mean increasingly over the three these three Kyla Pratt films it's like the the, the scripting is weaker um, the characters are all exactly the same I suppose she's not especially good she's not terrible but you know nobody cares I gave this one three out of ten thank you for watching these <laughs> yeah. well it's, it's obviously it's my pleasure well <laughs> I know basically nothing about this new Robert Downey Jr. one coming out, so I'm now looking at the cast list on oh, IMDb. Yeah. Mm. So I knew Robert Downey Jr. was in it, I knew Tom Holland was in it. Hang on, Tom Holland's a voice? Yeah. I thought he was actually in it. No, no. He's a Why is everyone making a big deal about him being a voice in it? He's not even got an interesting Because book. he's a big deal. Young people like him. So, you know, him and Selena Gomez. Yeah, but his voice isn't interesting. No, no, it's not at all. But then they made a big deal out of him for that uh, Spies in Disguise film that he did with Will Smith. And, well, yeah, uh, but yeah. that's animated. and he's... Emma Thompson's in it. I mean, that's, yeah, good voice, I guess. Ray Fiennes. That'll be good if he's doing it as a fucking, like, Courtney. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, Rami Malek, I don't like him. You, you probably do, Callum. There's a little Bond connection for you. Um, yeah, he's all right. I'm watching a Mr. Robot. He's good in that. Jesse Buckley, Kumail Nanjiani, he's going to steal the show. Wait a minute. Uh, Marion Cotillard, Michael Sheen, good, good. John Cena, why the f- would you cast him as someone called Yoshi? <laughs> oh dear. Hmm. Antonio I've seen nothing about this film. Like, I, I've not seen a single advert, uh, yeah. nothing. And then, so I sat down to watch the trailer for, for this, and it was so not what I was expecting at all. Right, well, I, I've not seen the trailer yet. I'm going to watch it now with no sound. Yeah, give it a watch. I'm all curious right. to know what you think. All right, there's the annoying, like, two-second trailer for the trailer playing at the minute now. All right, let's see. The trailer's been yep. universal. Yep. Okay. Right, some CGI elephants walking around, and... Um, there's like a kid running around from the producer of Alice in Wonderland. That's a bad start. <laughs> uh, just a kid running around, CGI monkeys, and Maleficent. Oh, uh, oh, it's a girl. 
Right, now she's walking in, there's a load of monkeys and birds flying around, but they're all CGI. Everything's so CGI, yeah. Than in yeah. 1967. But it's basically Cheaper that bit from than... 67. Oh, and here he is, Robert Downey Jr. with a straw hat. Uh, horse and carriage. It's like Downton Abbey. Oh, he's riding an emu, or an ostrich, rather. Yeah. It's a nice idea. It'd be better if it wasn't so shit-looking. <laughs> uh, polar bear... Whale, they're on a boat. The good thing about Parrot. watching this trailer with no sound is that there's barely any dialogue in the film, in the trailer. Mm. They seem like yeah, I was going to say terrible. I mean, you're not listening to it with the music, are you, Sol? No. It's like one of those like really pumped up epic uh, covers of um, uh, "What a Wonderful World." So this on the ship with a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what Robert oh, Downey Jr. Now Jr's he's in saying. some magic kingdom. Robert Downey Jr. is saying, country. It's okay or a tiger. to be scared. <laughs> or a little bug. It's a tiger there. Oh, now they're trying to crawl along a mountain top. I mean, it's just, the animals just look shit. None of them look good. Yeah. It looks kind of like Tintin, the motion capture version level yeah. of. Uh, like, it doesn't even look like it's trying to be photo real. No, it, looks, it, lo- it looks like yeah. a high end video game. It's not. Yeah, this is yeah. pretty piss poor effects wise, and and the trailer really does not give much away in terms of plot or character or anything. It's it's very much like look at these visuals, look at these visuals. Oh, a dragon, which doesn't particularly um, bode well. There's a dragon. Mm. Yeah, at the very end of the trailer. Yeah, mm. I think it's gonna be a shit show. Yeah, yeah, I can't see it being very good. I think it's gonna be a massive flop. Yeah, I think uh, so. Sounds like they did a load of reshooting as well. Um, interestingly, the note that I read said that because test audiences didn't like the humour in the film, and it did strike me how humourless the trailer is. Like, they're really going, when you watch it with the music especially, they're really going for this, like, epic, like, you know, sort of almost like Avatar level of uh, Which doesn't wonder play, and... Does really? Well, I, my, my guess is the humour was weak. <laughs> mm. And the, the good thing to do would have been, like, hire some funny people to put good jokes in. But they've mm. taken the opposite approach from the sound of it. It's so it would so easy to put extra jokes in something like that as well, because you just get your voice actors in to do some new lines, make you know, oh look, it's the funny monkey or whatever, and he's always cracking mm. jokes. Yeah, you just have him go, "We're gonna need a bigger boat," and you're like, <laughs> "Boom, done, right on par with Eddie Murphy <laughs> in the nineties. <90s." laughs> oh, when the tiger comes in, he goes, "Great." <laughs> <laughs> You know they got a polar bear in this, right? Yeah. How subtle do you think the "Hey, the polar ice caps are melting" message will be? <laughs> I don't have a home anymore. Doctor Doolittle in his house. <laughs> I think that's going to be why he lives in the mansion. I think that will be the actual reason. The, the problem is this is set kind of pre or at least mid industrial revolution, so it's not really a problem yet. Of course, I doubt I'll ever see this film. Uh... <laughs> Well, either you two be going. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how shit it is. Yeah. I went to see Cats. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, Cats is something else. I mean, <laughs> I'm calling it now. Cats is destined to become a like late night, midnight movie no. crowd pleaser. <laughs> People dress up as the cats, <laughs> sing along to the songs, get like wasted. It's gonna be like Rocky Horror and stuff. It's so like camp and just bizarre hmm. it's not good but you know whereas this will be forgotten the week it comes out 
I'm surprised it's even coming out, to be honest. I think it's the first time that our our podcast covering the film may stand the test of time more than the film <laughs> itself. <laughs> may go on to be more culturally significant down the line. Do you think more people will listen to this podcast than will actually see the film? <laughs> Uh, I think it'll be comparable, yeah. (laughs) No one's going to see it. It's going to get 20-odd percent on Rotten Tomatoes. People will probably praise the voice work. Calvin, do you think it'll do Uh, a lot of the box office? Or will it do little? (laughs) 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 Uh, See, let's check check the reviews of Doolittle and see how many people try and attempt some form of that <laughs> rap <Yeah>. joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, quite a lot, I imagine. Do little too late. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to say it was destined to do little. I think that'll be the... Oh, yes. oh very... Yes, that's good. Yeah. The, the, the stellar voice work by uh, Tom Hanks can only do little to salvage this train wreck. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I forgot he was in it. I was stabbing the door. <laughs> well, guys, that's that's Doctor Doolittle. Have we got any other business before we uh, sign off? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay, cool. No, no, no. Wait, hold on a minute. I mean, I mean, well, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I've seen the world. I've been around. I can tell you stories that would quite astound you. I'm not a fool. I went to school. I've been from Liverpool to Istanbul. Istanbul. I'm no fool. That I'm sharper than a knife But I've never seen anything like it in my life It's a push-me-pull-you Is it? Well, I've never seen anything like it Never seen anything like it I've never seen anything like it in my it's life It's the rarest animal on air It certainly is Hey, come back, just a minute, listen Squirt why is Mr. Chunks doing that? Because the loser of our bed has to do a double somersault into a tub of alien goat vomit. <laughs> Wait, let's make it interesting. Vomit and diarrhea. Good idea. That way we don't waste an end. Ugh, it's putrid. What do you feed him? What comes out one end, we feed to the other. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals.